Hello everybody, COVID England, planet Earth, how you doing? Hope you're alright. Um, yeah, so Grey Wave came on the show for this episode. Um, I'd like to thank Jess for jumping on. So Grey Wave is essentially like an alias persona that Jess performs under. And yeah, the music's amazing. Really, really good, if, especially if you're into shoegaze, dream pop crossover kind of stuff it will tick every box that you need and yeah go over to spotify listen to her stuff it's very very engaging really really good yeah thanks to her once again for jumping on the show we spoke about how the project kind of formed in her mind and came to life the writing and recording logistics that she faces and the evolution of her music and yeah, working as a solo artist, going from playing in a hardcore band to being like a shoegaze singer-songwriter, essentially. And yeah, fantastic episode. Go listen to Grey Wave. You will not be disappointed. Keep staying positive. Thanks again for the support and always checking out the podcast. And yeah, best wishes. Farewell, everybody. Yeah, thanks for jumping on this call tonight. Thanks for taking the time to come on it and everything. I do appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, no, no stress. Big fan of the new tunes. Really enjoyed them. Oh, cheers. I'm glad to hear it. So, yeah, I guess we'll jump right in. Um, so, prior to doing the whole Grey Wave persona and exploration within yourself, you were you, you were in Stranded, obviously, playing some hardcore music. Um, yeah. How was it transitioning from hardcore to, like, shoegaze kind of indie pop writing? Um, was it difficult at first, or was it, like, something you'd always had on the back burner but never had a chance to um like bring to light because because the band you're in didn't call for it and was it something you felt you always needed to do yeah that's an interesting question so it didn't feel like much of a change for me because i was always writing stuff like this sort of behind scenes anyway even when i was in stranded i spent a lot of my free time writing more sort of shoegazy indie indie stuff um so i guess the only real change was having to you know actually put it out there um and, and get a reaction from people um, but yeah, in terms of the writing, no, it was uh, something I've been doing for a while anyway, so it felt pretty natural. Yeah, how was that putting it out there? Was it was it? Oh, I can imagine quite nerve wracking at first. And yeah, were you were you very apprehensive to do it? Was it something you kind of wanted to keep to yourself? When did you really get the confidence to push the music um, as, as from like a solo vision? Yeah, um, it's it's weird. I feel like I feel like I'd, I'd wanted to put out some of my own like music since gosh I was probably like 14 years old so yeah that, like, a good 10 11 years ago yeah. um, and I'd always just like write things and then scrap them and be like no it's not good enough um, and that was just a constant thing for so long and then I think one day I just like thought about it differently and just thought like what is the point in being such a perfectionist over it because I'm never going to be happy. So let's yeah. just release it. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that something you've got better at over time, like editing and not being your own worst critic? And I think, do you think it helps writing with almost like a naive vision as, as if you have to, you have to create as if, you know, you're under the impression that no one's going to hear it except yourself. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> Definitely. Yeah, I think I'm still I'm still my own worst critic in every situation. I think the difference is now is that I I have like more people I'm happy to show my works in progress to and get some sort of feedback and opinions on it. Mm. Um, you know, I've got some good people around me now. Whereas when I first 
sort of started I kept it very much to myself and was like no no one can hear this <laughs> so yeah. yeah yeah so how was it you know it being like your songs instead of being in like a band environment and taking like the lead and solo role obviously within doing pretty much everything and was it was it was it like daunting at first and was it a lot to take on in terms of like the whole creative package oh yeah yeah it's um it's a lot of work uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I you know and I, I'm aware I was aware of how much work it was going to be when I decided to do it <clears throat> um so you know no complaints really but um I think the the biggest thing was live shows um adjusting to being uh well the, the talker because when I was when I was in Stranded I just played guitar I didn't speak <laughs> you know I just yeah, I was I like yeah, I'm just gonna play guitar <laughs> I guess you could just chill in between songs before and after you know not have to worry about like uh, an intermission kind of little speech you know yeah yeah exactly so that was probably the like the biggest adjustment I was like oh no I have to actually talk <laughs> I've got to <laughs> think of something to speak about um, yeah okay yeah. Do you, th- do you think that's like uh, encouraged your confidence as an individual in general then as well? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I'd say so because like when I when I wasn't forced into speaking, mm. um, I just wouldn't have done it because I'd just been like, no, absolutely not, not happening. But now I kind of have to. It's definitely helped with my sort of social skills of speaking to other people at shows anyway and like in between sets and stuff, you know, like actually approaching other musicians and being like hello you know actually introducing yeah. myself <laughs> so. yeah it's true yeah public speaking is all is something i despise as well like i, I think i could do it but when you feel your face go like bright red for like five <laughs> minutes solid and you know how you look yeah <laughs> i know that feeling too well yeah yeah for sure um yeah i think it's good though because do you think like pushing yourself like that is something you would have never done if the music had never brought brought itself to the surface of your like creative atmosphere yeah i'd say so if i if i wasn't in these situations that forced me to do it i wouldn't i definitely don't think i'd just decide to make myself do it <laughs> so yeah well, is it has it been hard to like not not difficult in the in the sense but to trust yourself as in like you, you know i know you said you got a few people to bounce off around you now but in the beginning was it like mm. okay so we're not doing this as a four or five piece it's like i only have me to talk to and what was that very difficult yeah i think so because it's just sometimes you just i don't know like because because sometimes i'll be working on a song and i'll mm. work on it for so long and you know and i'll like it and then i'll have been working on it for for days and then i'll suddenly decide I hate all of this and I think yeah. mostly it's because I've been listening to it to death and I've had nobody else there to like bounce ideas off so I get sick of it and yeah it's sometimes a struggle. Yeah so have, have, you, have you found it can be slightly not not completely but slightly unhealthy at times creating as a solo artist in, in that in that regard? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've probably got like the amount of demos I've got on my computer that just never see the light of day. Like, that'll be stuff I spent ages on, and I'll spend so long on it that I'll get sick of it. And I'm like, right, I don't want to listen to this ever again. So, therefore, nobody else is going to hear it either because <laughs> it's not going anywhere. Ah, that, that's um, so harsh. That's such a harsh way to be on yourself. I know. I know. Well, <laughs> I think a lot of creative people are similar. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's very easy just to be like, you know, when you hear something over and over again, or you you like reference the mix with different headphones, and you're like, why is this so shit? <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. 
I know the vibe, honestly, completely. Um, so how's the creative process with bringing your vision to life? And, you know, how, how have you found it processing like the idea, like a rough idea in your mind to writing and creating from like practice room to a live setting? How is it, how is it going from an initial like root thought to literally playing it in front of people? How, what, what's the process and almost like the evolution of sound now for you? Okay. Um, so I often start with an acoustic guitar. Yeah. So yeah, um, acoustic guitar and just like I'm playing, you know, nice chords usually, or even like little lead bits I come out with. Um, most most of my stuff starts out of guitar because that's like my first instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as soon as I sort of structure that out and like the sound of it, I'll uh, go onto Logic and um, start getting some nice guitar sounds going. Start programming some drums. Uh, sort of adding bass, synths, vocals. Um, yeah, and then, I mean, sometimes, I mean, more recently now I've gotten into more production stuff. I've started writing with synth first or drums first or bass, but, I mean, typically it starts out with guitar. Um, and then I usually, um, the selected demos, <laughs> will uh, go to the studio with me. Um, I record with uh, Sam Bloor in Stoke. Yeah, I know him. We just um, just had him on, literally, before you. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't do it. Um, I, you, you know Perry Wattis? I do, yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, he did the episode. It was. Uh, I haven't listened to it yet. He sent me over. But yeah, no, funny enough, we just had him literally on before this. So, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> oh, yeah, massive shout out to him. He's an incredible producer. Yeah. Um, and he knows exactly what I want. So I got come out of the studio knowing that once he's sort of mixed in all that, it'll be great. Um, and obviously, oh, I can't forget to shout out Zach Jenkins. Um, who I obviously used to be in Stranded with. He was the drummer. Um, yeah, yeah, I know Zach. yeah, yeah. So he he tracks the drums for the Grey Wave stuff now, which yeah, cool. is insane because he's probably one of the best drummers I know. Yeah, fucking um, yeah, <laughs> sick. Yeah, honestly, yeah, always impressed with his stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and then once that's done, get together in the practice room with the others, practice the songs, and then then yeah, play them at shows. So, yeah, yeah do, you, do you find it at, do you find when it's actually come to life in a practice room or with Sam um, how much does the idea change from the initial thought to when it comes to that obviously it's going to change a bit when you have other people's input but how how yeah. easy how easy has it become in a way to proceed with there's just this idea when you're I don't know on the bus at work to actually bringing it to life <laughs> with you know real instruments and real people around you yeah it's it's definitely getting easier now um, yeah, it's a tricky question. Yeah, it's it's getting easier to do now, I think. Um, I, To be honest, usually, like, most of the changes happen in my demoing process. Like, it'll start out with something and then end up being totally different. Mm. And um, and then, of course, yeah, it does change in the studios, like, a little bit. Sometimes there'll be just, like, you know, added added bits we put in or, like, little structural changes. Um, often the vocal melodies end up switching those up in the studio. Um, and then, yeah, and the, sometimes... Zach will add. Zach will obviously embellish the drums in the studio, like adding really good fills and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess it's just, it's this tricky process because um, obviously you can't get together in practice rooms or anything at the moment. Yeah, yeah, um, trust me, I know it's so fucking annoying. Yeah. Yeah. So that aspect almost gets skipped. Like, there's no full band rehearsal before it goes to the studio. It's it gets recorded in the studio and then it's right. This is the song. Now let's get the live set together. 
And to be honest, like so far so good. Um, they've translated pretty well. So yeah, I'm just gonna try and keep doing what I'm doing and not start adding in loads of crazy bits that are impossible to replicate live. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's um how you know, what's so what what's your biggest influence with the whole grey wave sound and its development? Like I know I know you obviously have listened to like a wide variety of music like now and growing up. But where 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 was it? Because obviously shoegaze it's quite a niche genre to create, I would say personally. What what mm. what inspired you to create this yourself? Because obviously people will step in, step into hardcore and like indie, anything like that. But like, what actually clicked in your head to be like, yeah, I can do this. I can give it my go and really proceed and take your and have your take on the whole genre. Oh, I don't know. I think it's. I think to be honest, it kind of naturally just happened because it's it's that that sort of genre I've been listening to for a long time. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think it naturally influenced my writing anyway, because I think one of my biggest loves of, with like music is really sort of chill, sort of reverby, dreamy guitar tones and, and stuff that just like washes over you. So yeah. I thought, you know, when I started, I was like, I want to make music like that, that sort of makes you feel a bit like, oh, it's a bit trippy. It's a bit, you know, um, wishy-washy. Um, and I guess that just naturally progressed into that sort of shoegazy sound really it wasn't it wasn't sort of me saying i'm gonna make shoegaze i think it just sort of naturally <laughs> went that way yeah like who then like who specifically was there certain guitar players or certain records within the past like 10 years or so or even going back to like 80s 90s progressive stuff um what what kind of took a hold of your listening experience and really in- influenced you as as a songwriter from, from a shoegaze and dream pop perspective Oh, okay, right. So, okay, so some obviously some big influences would be like Slow Dive, My Bloody Valentine, you know, um, mm-hmm. pretty big names, Ride. Um, but then like even more sort of like modern musicians who probably definitely wouldn't class as shoegaze, you know, like uh, Men I Trust, uh, Japanese Breakfast, uh, Widow Speak, um, trying to think, Nothing. Yeah. Uh, who else? Who else? Pink Shiny Ultra Blast. Yeah, that's uh, big. Cool. Yeah, and then even some sort of heavier stuff like uh, marriage, marriages, um, just anything Emma Reef Rundle's done, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Chelsea Wolf, Chelsea Wolf, love Chelsea Wolf. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, a big list. You, do you consider yourself quite a, quite, you know, as someone with a good CV for music like that? And do you feel, do you feel, you feel you're very qualified to create now? I'd, I'd hope so. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I think I'm just, I, I honestly just think I'm winging it, if I'm honest with you. Like, <laughs> I don't know about being qualified. I don't know. I don't know what sort of equates to being qualified. But, um, you know, I just, I just give it my best go, uh, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I mean, you know, how has your listening changed since Grey Wave has become very prominent in your life? Do you find yourself you know attracted to and desiring new sounds and how how has it changed you as a listener coming from like a hardcore background which i'm sure i'm sure you still listen to obviously um but how has that changed your approach to discovering new music and what you desire from like a listener's experience and how how do you channel that into your music now now you now you have the experience with creating and you know you know a pretty decent back catalog behind you at the minute thank you um yeah uh I can't say my listening habits have changed all that much. Um, okay. I think if I think if anything, I've 
I've become a lot broader with what I listen to. So, so you're right. Like, um, you know, I did used to sort of listen to a lot more hardcore. I, I listen to hardcore now, but I used to listen to a lot more. Yeah. Um, and I think my music taste used to be sort of predominantly a lot more alternative metal sort of based. Um, and I still listen to that now. Like, I still do listen to hardcore. Uh, yeah, metal, yeah. Uh, I, I like a bit of like progressive metal as well like doom metal like all sorts but but yeah now I find myself listening to a lot of a lot of mainstream sort of pop artists to be honest really just, okay yeah cool honestly, yeah. yeah just to kind of take a bit of influence from like okay so what makes that song do so well where like the catchy hooks and the structuring you know taking a little bit of that um yeah okay yeah I think that's and then also I've, I've found that I've, I definitely am appreciating that, you know, the smaller, more independent musicians a lot more now and, and trying to show my support for that sort of range of musicians instead of just going for like the big ones who've already got like a massive following. It's, it's yeah. just taking a chance on these other smaller musicians and thinking, yeah, I'm going to give that a listen and then showing support if I like it. So That's cool. You know, it's good to keep that little injection going in the, you know, the, in supporting the smaller scene, because do do you think that like, you know, some people go on to do very like innovative ideas and creative stuff. It's like, there was probably somebody before them who no one gave a shit about who they took influence from. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really, it's a weird one because sometimes, sometimes I hear, I hear music and I'm like, why is this not way bigger than it is? Like, why is it so underrated? And I honestly don't understand it. I think I think sometimes it is just luck. It's just chance that, that obviously the right person hears something from someone, mm. and and it gets pushed or, oh, you know, there's like other things that play with it. But yeah, it's just, it's sometimes it's a shame that uh, some people don't get more recognition. But yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I want to, that that kind of links into the next question because. I know. Are you from Wolves originally, or are you are you from like Worcester Way, like Zach and Fraser are? Like, because obviously you were playing in Stranded. Um, where, where, which part of the Midlands were you originally from? Don't mind me asking. Uh, originally from Wolves. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So, like, what what do you think of like? I talk about Birmingham specifically because that's where like, I'm from, and like the, the the prominent scene is. But like, what do you think of the venues that are going on within the Midlands? You know, Wolverhampton. Or, I don't know. You can go as far as like the Mars Bar or anything. But it's like, what do you think of the venues that are like offered within the Midlands? And does does the region offer enough, offer a platform for people to grow and to be like an active player in the UK circuit, do you think? And for bands to establish like a local scene and give that little injection, that almost like paracetamol tablet to... Mm. To kind of give them the lift, and th- does it does it cater for you know the, all the genres and allow for all scenes to kind of like you know nourish and develop with on a local scale? In terms of well, I am I am from Wolverhampton, but I spent a lot of time in Birmingham. I did live there for a couple of years um, when I was in yeah. Stranded, actually. Yeah. So um, I'm very familiar with like the Birmingham venues and um, Mars Bar have have been there. Did did play there once? A uh, cool venue. Um, Wolves has obviously got um, the Gifford Arms, which have been known to put hardcore shows on upstairs. Um, you know what? I actually think that's the only place I can think of in Wolves. Um, I know there's the Slade Rooms, but... Yeah, I, I, I only went to the Slade Rooms once, I think. I saw Basement there. That was it. That, 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 that one time, that was it only. But obviously, because Wolves, Wolves specifically was pretty good about, a f- like, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, was decent. Like, I remember going to shows there when I was, like, a mid 
teenager or something. And it was it was active, you know. Wolfram Hall Civic was was a good place, and obviously Slam Dunk was there for a few years. Yeah, something something bad happened when the Civic closed. Yeah, very it's, very bad. Yeah, it just destroyed the city. I think like. <laughs> Because, yeah, that was obviously one, that was a big hub for sort of um, shows, like obviously bigger scale shows. So that, that, and then Slam Dunk being moved to Birmingham as well, kind of. Yeah, that was shit, that was. That was such a shit idea. Did you ever go? I mean, you might have done. I don't know. Yeah, I went to it in Wolverhampton, but when I got moved to Birmingham, I didn't go anymore. Um, it wasn't because it got moved to Birmingham, it was just coincidental that I'd stopped going. And I, I think... thought you were having like some hometown like pride like, trip or something like No, I went to something else. I can't remember what it timed with, but it might have been Outbreak Festival or something. Oh, uh, the one, yeah, yeah, when Outbreak was like a little bit earlier in May or something. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um... Yeah, but sorry to go back to the question. I think. Um, sorry, yeah, I, 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 I say sorry as well. We kind of went on this like trance. Yeah, it's cool. Keep it going. Yeah, no stress. No, that's cool. Um, yeah, I think I think Birmingham Birmingham's pretty good for for shows. I mean, so for so, so for the more sort of indie scene, you've got Sunflower Lounge, Hare and Hounds. I think is it Dark Horse. I think there's another yeah, one. Yeah. Can't think of the other one. And then for like the hardcore shows. There was a lot more actually. Um, there was, weren't there? A few years ago. Um, I've noticed this. I, like, I've, I've seen you at loads of shows. I don't think we've ever had a chat though. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I remember. I remember. Rainbow was like obviously like really fucking sick. Like four or five years ago, that was like a really prominent stuff that was happening very regularly. And I think yeah. it, it kind of got moved to Mama Rue a little bit, but it wasn't the mm. same. I don't know if you feel the same. I do. Yeah. Rainbow was sick, and then and when that went, that was really sad. It's really mm. sad. And then, um, God, what was it? Wagon and Horses got turned into Dead Wax, didn't it? Yes, it did. Fucking good yeah. point to bring up. Which which isn't a bad thing, because I think it, it's doing better as Dead Wax. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, but it did maybe, like, you know, different owners have different ideas and different mm. visions and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I still think, I think it's a great venue. Um, I just, yeah, it's changed, though, hasn't it? Because Wagon and Horses, like, there's a lot of hardcore shows there. Don't really see that at Dead Wax. It's more sort of indie shows, which you know is fine. I mean, works works for me anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I guess you know who's going to buy all that like pale ale and like you know <laughs> yeah. like craft beer. Uh, you yeah, know, maybe an indie crowd and <laughs> probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I don't know. Like um, in terms of yeah, the only the only venue I can think of in Birmingham genuinely that has been really good in the, in the past couple of years. And, and this is more for like hardcore bands. It's been subside because the amount of free shows that happen there. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, I completely agree with you, to be honest. Uh, subside has offered, because yeah, you can just walk in the door. Like no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Subside has had some very cool stuff go down. Um, yeah. Completely agree. Do you, so mm-hmm. do you, do you think, you know, the Midlands itself stands as, a prominent place for touring bands and up and coming artists for whatever they're doing to as like a, a good platform within the UK to grow or, or not. What, what do you think? I think it, I think it should be. Mm. I think there's plenty going on, but I do notice that for some reason, especially on the bigger tours, a lot of bands seem to skip Birmingham. They do, don't they? Very interesting. Manchester. It's like they always have to drive through Burms to like get to the next place and not play a show. Yeah, it's weird. I'm not really sure why that happens. 
but I, 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 I think there's an amazing creative scene in Birmingham. Mm. Um, but both sort of music, design, art, like there's, there's a lot going on. Um, and I think it's definitely up, up and coming. A lot of people say it, but I agree. I think it is up and coming. And I think it will be taken seriously at some point, I hope. Um, it should be. I think, I think the foundations are there. So if that answers your question, I'm sorry if I've not answered it. <laughs> oh, no, please don't say sorry. <laughs> it definitely did. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, what I want to get onto next is how was he releasing music in lockdown with no show to support it? Because um, obviously there were shows booked that like fell through or whatever. But like, how were, were you apprehensive? Obviously, you know you can't just delay the music. But like, how was it releasing stuff with no show to play and no yeah no live audience essentially to promote this to? How how was that from your perspective? It's, it's an interesting one because it, it's really it's really hard to tell how things might have been different had we not been in lockdown. I mean, yeah, in terms of my music, I think I've I think I've been pretty successful, which I'm happy about. Um, and I, and I do wonder like maybe if this hadn't have happened, then I'd just been playing shows. Would I've had as much time to be writing and producing more content? Um, I'm not sure. I mean. In one in one respect, it's it's obviously very bad because not being able to go and play the new songs to a live audience it really does suck. And and to be honest, I I did end up delaying a lot. Like um, yeah. I was originally for my EP that's coming up. Originally, I was just going to be like, right, one single, then the EP. Um, but I ended up sort of stringing it out a bit more because I was like, right, I just want to wait a bit longer until there's more prospect of a, of a show so I can do an EP release show. Yeah, okay, um, yeah, yeah. Well, 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 yeah, for sure. That's, that's like the, obviously the best thing you can do to promote it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that obviously isn't going to happen in time. So, you know, it is what it is and we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, it, it's weird. But I feel like there's positives and negatives to the situation. It's definitely pushed me to be a lot more active on social media. I was terrible at my uh, music social media before lockdown. And then I thought, right, I actually have to do this now. <laughs> no one's going to know I exist otherwise. <laughs> so, yeah. So. Yeah, I've, I've, I've noticed that because do you, do you think like in terms of singles in like the modern day, I hate using the word market for music, but <laughs> in terms of like the modern day, I don't know, climate, um, pushing singles is actually way easier than, for example, putting a seven inch out in 1994. You know, yeah. because you, you you can push a single like pre- pretty intensely on like different platforms, YouTube, for free essentially as well. Um, yeah. Have, have have you noticed that yourself? Like you've had more success on pushing a single and promo in that, mm-hmm. off maybe a full EP without a show behind it. Oh God, yeah, definitely. And I, and I feel like because a lot of a lot of music promotion these days is relying on playlisting. If you can get a single on some good playlists. That's just a, a really great way to push. Um, it is, it is yeah. for sure. But um, do you think you play this? Because obviously, it's like these, mm. these like I don't know, four individuals make a playlist on Spotify, and they're like obviously the gatekeepers, you know, by default by that for that genre. But like, what are your thoughts on that? That like I don't know, three or four random people are deciding what's relevant and new, and you know interesting within that genre whereas there's obviously like a lot of people trying to get into it like i don't know what what do you think about this this like golden ticket maybe kind of vibe i mean (laughs) i don't i don't agree with it really i mean it's unfair because i think i think a lot of great music does get overlooked because 
there's so many artists putting out music. There's just so much being churned out and probably and so much being submitted to all of these playlists. And, and you know, yeah, like I've I've used I've used playlist submissions before and and sometimes sometimes you'll get someone someone feeding back and being like, No, I'm not gonna add this because I don't like this particular part of your song. <laughs> and like, well, like, okay. who, who are you to say that? Who the fuck are you to say that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, like, yeah. it's like okay, you, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, all right, just don't add it, let's move on. <laughs> but no, <laughs> yeah. I think sometimes sometimes um yeah, sometimes it annoys me. I mean I mean, not everyone's gonna like your music and sometimes constructive criticism is great. But it is such a subjective thing to like or dislike a song in most cases. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is. It is. It is a pretty annoying one that there's just a few people who who decide whether it's worthy or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a thing that like I I, I feel the same as you completely. It's like mm-hmm. you know, it's like this little council board deciding how like a town yeah. should be run, where it's like I don't know. It's and it's like they don't even live in the town, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's infuriating sometimes, but oh, yeah. So, like heaven, I'd like to talk to you about that. Um, how was the recording process, and what was the artistic goal for that EP? Um, yeah, so I knew I wanted that track to be a bit more shoegazy than previous releases, a bit heavier. Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that big time. Yeah, <laughs> grungier. So you know, I took I took the demo into the, into the studio. Um, I did I recorded that alongside another song that's on the EP. Sort of, I split my uh, EP recording into two different weekends. Um, they were months that's apart, cool. actually, which is interesting. But yeah, so that was recorded on the first weekend, along with um, another track which will be on the EP. Um, and I and I said to Sam straight away, I was like, I want this to be darker. I want it to end on like a darker note because it's gonna it's gonna continue into something else that's darker. Uh, I knew I wanted it to be heavier and just and just have a sort of gloomier vibe, and um, and yeah, so it's like straight away we started like playing with the pedals for the guitars and, and getting some like nice sort of like fuzzy, crunchy tones to add in that we'd not used before, and it was like yeah, and and with Zach's drumming as well on that because it's the first song that um, Zach had drummed on too, yeah, it just all came together uh, pretty well in the studio because everybody sort of knew where we wanted it to go. Yeah, why did you want to take a darker turn then? Because like it could have been to me, it's like where where you were, you could have mm. gone pure dream pop, mm. or you could have taken the heavier route, which you obviously did. Like why yeah. why did you indicate that way and not hit the indicator the other way? Uh, it's, it's an interesting one that um, because the the EP uh, is actually sort of made up of of two halves, mm. so we've got the the darker route. And then on that EP, we've also got the lighter route, but none of that's out yet, so no one's no one's heard that. Oh, direction. there we go. Yeah, okay, that's okay. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so the idea of the EP is that it goes from light to dark. Um, oh, I see. Is that what you were talking about when you were like, "I know how I want this to end." <laughs> yeah. Okay. So cool. It's like yeah. an exploration of light and dark is is the theme of the EP. So right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I definitely wanted to have like a, a heavier tone anyway. Um, and I think it was playing live that influenced that. Cause like one of my older songs fluid has, um, has some heavier bits in it. And yeah. I just like, I just love playing heavier music live. I think that's just my uh, old sort of stranded days. 
uh, catching up with me, but it's just so much more fun to me. Yeah, because to me, it's like heavier stuff, especially a genre like hardcore is... Mm. That's meant for a live environment, I would say. I think, and I think it's a genre that, at times, not all the time, but it's like it's almost. Have, have you ever struggled to put a heavier side of stuff onto record? Because live, it's a completely different scenario. And did you find that with the grey wave stuff? Um, yeah. I mean, personally, I find it hard sometimes when I'm doing demos to try and incorporate that in. Yeah. Uh, but um, as I've as I've said, Sam is just insanely good at what he does he's an absolute wizard so he just helps me make it work <laughs> uh, and he gets yeah. it sounding good on record i mean there are there are bits that just don't translate well you know and, and maybe there's with bits that when when we're doing the live set i'll be like right i want to add this on to the end of this song but like realistically on record nobody wants to listen to a seven minute track where the last two minutes are just heavy chords i mean some people do but most people will be like no the, the majority might be like nah <laughs> yeah so there is there is that element of things like sometimes switch it up live to add in those heavier bits to sort of because live people are just gonna be like yeah like get into it but maybe sitting down like you know on the bus or something nah <laughs> let's leave it yeah no I, I, I completely relate to that it's, it's 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 a strange thing isn't it i mean was was it ever a worry then or not not a worry but it was like because Obviously, when, when you're making this, especially the early stuff, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, how will this come across live? Mm-hmm. Will it transition the same? And will, you know, say if somebody hears it live for the first time and they're like a complete stranger in the crowd, don't, don't have a clue who you are. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, that was pretty good. I might check that out when I get home. Uh, yeah. Is it like vice versa? Either way, do you think stuff, do you think your music translates like accurately? Or do you think like the live show will offer like X, Y, and Z, and then the studio recording also shows a different side to you as well? Yeah, so I think typically like the live, the live sound is is heavier than heavier than the record sound. Okay, um, yeah, and that's just I think that's just down to me playing live shows with people who are all in metal bands. <laughs> um, I, think so. I think so as well. Yeah, you know, but I like it. I like it. You know. Got to, got to respect my roots as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that, and I think I think with the like the recorded sound, there's like there's a lot more sort of sparkly bits added in. There's like synths and, and nice little sound effects that go in there, and you know, yeah. give it an uplifting vibe. Um, but I think I think that's fine. I, I like it sounding heavier live, and I've always had good feedback about the live sound from people. Oh, sure. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think so to answer the question. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a no, no. It's a good answer. No stress. It's all good. So the new track entitled "Before" mm-hmm. was. Um, how does that reflect you in the in the current times? And I know you you might, might have briefly touched on this like just a minute ago, but like, how do yeah? How does that reflect you in the current moment and the current times? And does this kind of set the tone for the future of what Greyway will be doing musically? Um, I think it's. I think it's a very good reflection of what's to come. Okay. Um, so, so before is is the ending track of the EP. So that's what I want people. That's what I want. That's the note I wanted it to end on because I I am writing stuff more like more like that heavier stuff now. Um, the next the next lot of songs that I'm working on are definitely more along that line of things. Sorry, I, my words have just gone. My articulation terrible. Um, <laughs> That was only you that noticed that, though. I didn't give a fuck. That was fine. <laughs> I keep <laughs> driving, no stress. Yeah. Um, 
No, I think yeah. it's I think it's a good a uh, good reflection of, of where things are going. To be quite honest, um, oh. I've been working on new stuff recently, which is definitely picking up those vibes, and I think it's working for me. It's how I want to sound. So yeah, yeah. Has it taken some time? Do you think you've I don't know. Maybe obviously before you were very content and comfortable in it, but did you find your feet then or even earlier or has it taken until now to really, you know, be, I don't know, do you know, and like, you know, you see a kid in a swimming pool with no armbands and you're like, yeah, you're killing it. Mm. It's like when, you know, when did your armbands come off? Would you say, is it now or previously or, you know, a little bit in between the two? I, I think now, yeah, I think now, I think, um, I think sort of since the release of before and like heaven, yeah, okay, I think cool. that's it. That's it now. Um, I think I've worked out what I want to do, how how I want the music to be perceived, uh, where I want it to go. Um, I think I'm still finding my feet a little bit in some respects. Like I'm still obviously always learning and changing things. And you know, sometimes sometimes I'll look at my songs and I and I'll think, oh, is this the direction I actually wanted to go? Am I am I sure I don't want to go full dream pop and just like go really. <laughs> No, I think Mate, yeah, make a turnover record. That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's yeah. I think it's I think it's natural. I think a lot of people sort of sometimes question their creative direction and where they're taking things because there's so many different ways <laughs> that you can take things. What has inspired you to keep creating then? And what like you know, obviously went from stranded to grey wave. Mm-hmm. And what has inspired you to keep creating? And you know, you you obviously in, I'm not you're in your head and no one else's but you. But like what 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 paints your future vision and what inspires you to get there in the most accurate way you can? <laughs> wow. Um, I, don't know. I, I mean, I've always, I've always been a creator. I've, I've always been obsessed with creating. I mean, if I'm not making music, I'm designing. Like, like my full-time job is, is web designer and, and I do a lot of sort of creative design in my spare time too. So yeah. I'm, always, I'm always creating things and I'm not really sure why I do it I just know that if I don't I feel like shit so, so I think it's probably like a form of therapy really is, is creating things and putting them out there um and I don't I don't know if I have a particular plan of where I want this to go you know specifically but I just know that I want to keep going and I want to keep building on it because I think I think I've got a momentum going now and I'm excited to see where it can go but I definitely don't have a solidified plan <laughs> of where it's going. I'm just, I'm just doing what I'm doing and seeing where it goes. Really, that's cool though because I don't know. You could have easily been, I don't know, Jess who played in Stranded. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And now it now it's taken this whole like left turn, which is really mm. cool to see. It's um, yeah. No, I respect what you're doing. I think it's really nice. It's you know your creativity is amounted to this. Thank you. Do you think um do you think you being creative as when when did you notice this within yourself as like how, how old are you if you don't mind me asking? How old am I? Yes, if you don't mind me asking. <laughs> um, I'm twenty-four. Yes, yeah, I'm okay, cool. Um so <laughs> do when when did you notice this creative instinct and desire within yourself? Has this been something that's been happening, I don't know, for the past decade or so? Or it was it was it recently like when you when you became like an older like eighteen year old or and uh, why 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 can't you shake it off? Do you feel like it's almost I don't know because some people would describe it to me as like oh, when I've done a lot of chats like this in the past they're like you know oh, it's like a disease I can't shake mm. like do do you almost feel the same? I know disease is like a very harsh term and maybe I'm, I don't mean it literally but you know what I mean. Oh no yeah honestly I do and agreed 
that is sort of how it feels. I think for as long as I could remember, I wanted to make things. I mean, when I was very young, I was drawing all the time and I, and I grew up making art. And then I started learning guitar when I was 11 and yeah, I knew okay. I wanted to do something with it. And then I think it was going to shows and seeing other people doing it gave me that itch to be like, I can do that. I want to do that. And, you know, any time in the past few years, well, say, let's say the past decade, where I've not been in a band or in a musical project and, like, you know, I've been taking a break from it or something, I'll go to a show and I'll see another band playing or, you know, another musician playing and instantly I'm like, no, I need to get, I need to get back on it. I need to go and do it. Like, just seeing other people doing it just makes me want to, you know, get right at it. So, Yeah, what, what kind of shows inspired you then growing up? And I don't know, because it's weird because, I don't know, I, Especially getting into hardcore and that I, I know how hardcore transitions into shoegaze, definitely. <laughs> but like where 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 did you first start noticing or being uh, entertained by like alternative music, we'll call it. I don't like that term, but you know what I mean. <laughs> the, the, the the alternative kind of, you know, it like aspect of music. Yeah, that's, that's well when I feel like the uh, when I first started listening to alternative music it was Green Day. Um yeah, that was okay. when primary school um and that sort of naturally progressed i guess um bands like bowling for soup some 41 then i then i got really into bands like you meet six and all time low you know like yeah, nice yeah, okay. my yeah. face um, in fact yeah. the first band i saw was you meet six i think when i was 14 really okay um, cool yeah and that was wicked um and then i started slowly getting into well heavier bands like quote here and a day to remember <laughs> yeah a, a day to remember yeah a day to remember is like it's not that heavy now like us no. now is like 24 year olds but like no. at the time it's like i don't know a, a record like homesick like there is mm-hmm. there is some obviously like very heavy elements on there yeah but it's like at the time you're like this is the heaviest thing i've ever heard <laughs> do you know what i mean literally i remember i remember being a bit like oh am i sure i like this and then uh I had like Kerrang magazine and I, I'd seen it's something about Bring Me the Horizon um, like yeah, okay. years and years and years ago. And um, I think it was their first, their first album that was out. And I, you know, was it, was it Count Your Blessings? Was that yeah, it? Count Your Blessings. Yeah. Like pure, yeah. Like, pure like death call, like despised. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I started listening to that. And at first I was like, I hate this. But then I carried on listening to it. And I was like, no, I really like this. And then, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then I just got more and more into that sort of stuff. And then, and then when I when I went to college, I, I met people who liked hardcore, and I started going to the Haygate in Telford, and uh, going to all the like local. <laughs> yeah, okay, I never went to that venue, but I know of it. Yeah, okay. Oh, uh, everyone knows about the Haygate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So you met you mentioned like getting into records like Count Your Blessings and etc. Because mm-hmm. b- before you were talking about how you might connect with like pop music in the modern day. Yeah. Like what the human brain might be like scientifically connected to i don't know like a, a good chorus a good groove it's like mm-hmm. what 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 do you think you noticed in a record i don't know i don't want to talk about count your blessings but like you know in in an album like that uh and and what because obviously your mind is attracted to that pop music and a record like that what what do you think you notice in the both of them that like results in this like middle ground of like a heavy shoegaze sound I think what I think what I really appreciated about that sort of heavier music is mm. the technical ability of the musicians. 
Okay. So like, it's not easy. To, well, it can be, but a lot of the time, the guitar parts for that sort of sort of song are not easy. The drums, not easy. No, no, you not know. easy. No. In the vocals, not easy. And I think I was drawn to that, so I started like learning Parkway Drive and stuff on guitar. I was like, I need to learn oh, this. Like, yeah, yeah, Parkway. Yeah, what what a band? The first like three releases, fire. Oh. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's. And then you know another another genre I really like is drum and bass, and I just really? feel like really? anything yeah. that's heavy that makes me sort of pull a face that's like oh like, you know that like really like gets that reaction from you like you're like oh my god like that sound what was that like yeah that like intensified version of of like the lower down version you know yeah I don't know like I just love anything that's really in your face and heavy. Um, but then I also really love ambient and chilled music. You know, I listen to classical music sometimes. It's weird. I literally listen to anything except country music. I don't like country music, <laughs> but I listen to anything. Yeah, same. Uh, I enjoy like folk, but not country, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so do you think Grey Wave is the middle ground you've always been kind of searching for? Or I, I think don't know. so. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where's the name Grey Wave come from? Because, like, why didn't you call it Jess? I don't know, Jess Webberly. Why didn't you call it that? Why did you call it Grey Wave, for example? Is, is, is it like a band that's you kind of thing? Like, yeah. I don't know, because there is, there is, like, there is, like, very similar, not similar, but there's a lot of people with the same aspect. It's like a band name, but one individual. Why did you, is, is, was that the vision? Is, was that the inspiration in a way, some stuff like that? I think so. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of other musicians who who go sort of by aliases like Home Shake, um, yeah. Rice Wine, uh, who else? Japanese Breakfast. You know, there's loads. And I always knew I didn't want to use my name. I wanted to use an alias, and then I wanted to sort of create a brand around that. And like, yeah, it's, prob- it's probably way easier to create a a brand like that. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, and I kind of like that people see the name and might just perceive it as a band, and it's got that full band sound. So I quite like that it yeah. can just be perceived as a band, but I, you know, it's just created by me. And yeah, yeah, for sure. Because yeah. if if you like create the hypothetical like script, like two two mm. guys talking, and they're like, "Oh, who's this?" Oh, it's Grey Wave, you know. And mm. like, that doesn't matter. It's like Jess Webberly. Do you know what I mean? It's completely, yeah, yeah. What's your, opi- what's your opinion on, like, uh, bands becoming brands? Because to me, that's a very, like, modern thing that I wasn't going to get into, but now mm-hmm. you've said it. It's, like, in terms of merch and, mm-hmm. I don't know, even a sticker, for example. Because I was talking to my mate the other day about the Velvet Underground, that banana, and how that band became a brand, essentially. Their, mus- their, their like, merch became so much bigger than their music. And, like, what, what, mm-hmm. why do you think some bands will evolve like that into more of, like, a brand and an image rather than the actual, you know, 10 songs on a record? Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm all for it, as because, as, as I've said, like, a by trade, I'm a designer, and I have done a lot of branding work, and I think I naturally think that way because it's, it's my career. Um, I'm very into it. I'm very into visual things as well as, as, well as the audio. Yeah. And I think, I think the idea of creating this whole world is is great, um, but then yeah, that's an interesting one. I think I think sometimes when it evolves so far that the brand becomes bigger than the band, it's it's an interesting one really. It's it's tricky because I know there's there used to be a lot of uproar when God, I'm trying to think of an example of like a band. Then 
can't think now, but there was like shops like H&M and that that were selling bounty shirts. Yeah, like a Nirvana shirt, for example. Yeah, or Nirvana. Like, or like a Misfit shirt, I don't know, you know. Yeah, and then you'd see all those people wearing them and then like there was all that, that whole thing where people would be like, do you even know who that band are? Like, name, name five <laughs> songs. Um, what's your favourite yeah. song by them? Um, <laughs> and like, yeah. you know, to an extent, I, th- I, did, I did think, oh, well, this is a bit far now. Like, you know, what's going on here? Like, this is just aesthetic. You don't actually support the band. Um, so I think, there's, I think there's an aspect of it can be taken too far and that's a shame if it does, but I'm definitely all for all for branding yourself for branding yourself as a band i think it's great it's a great approach and i think a lot of people get more invested if there's more to invest into so yeah that's yeah. a good that's a good comment right there yeah they do indeed 100 percent. do you do, do you worry that gray wave for example if the momentum continues and you know stuff takes off as planned as desired um that you could see i don't know you get the bus Someone's wearing a grey web shirt and you know they don't have a, they've never listened to a fucking song. What would you do? Um, well, I definitely wouldn't like confront them about it. I'd, I'd, probably, <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably just be like, that's cool. That's cool. I, I don't know. I think it's cool because um, especially if it was like, if it was like one of my designs, I would be partially a bit like, you don't know what my music is, but then the other part of me would be like, but you like my design work. So yeah, it's like a compliment <laughs> and an offense in the same thing kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it would still be supporting me. Um, so, yeah, but it, it creates this like purgatory reaction, which is weird. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, I'd I'd, I'd let it go. I'd be like, eh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me and taking the time. Thanks for jumping on early as well. Do appreciate that. No, that's all right. Thank you for having me. Yeah, now nah, you're welcome. No stress at all. Uh, hopefully see you at a show or like, I think we're playing a show uh, in September that might maybe happen. Fingers crossed. Yes, that'll be sick though. Um, yeah, that headline band, Artio. I hope that's how you say it. Artio. Yeah, 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 I think it's, yeah, I don't know how to fucking say it either, but yeah. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd love to ask them, but yeah, they're pretty cool. I agree. Mm-hmm. Do some good stuff, but yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that though. I'm, I'm hoping it goes ahead, I'm sure. Let's, let's be optimistic. Respect, take care of yourself. I'd hope to see you in real life at a fucking, mm-hmm. at a show, play a gig, anything like that. Look and after you. yourself. All the best. And you. All right, see you soon. Bye. All right, take care. Bye-bye.